Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. everyone is so great to be back here and today in preparation for my sermon I had to do something very unusual okay not that unusual I had to go and do some internet shopping okay so what a big sacrifice right to prepare for a sermon I was looking at amazon.com because I wanted to gauge what is the interest level for a particular type of book so I typed in unlock the secrets to dot 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 into the search bar and then Amazon returned 115 pages of search results. Let me share with you what some of them might be. Unlock the secrets to effortless online income, to growing your YouTube channel, to investing in the commodity market, to unlock the secrets to your DNA, unlock the secrets to optimal health, unlock the secrets to sustainable weight loss. This one I was very interested in, okay? Unlock the secrets to the man code. I have no idea what this is. Unlock the secrets to TikTok. So it appears to be a super popular and super, okay, clickbait way to sell a book. So why does unlocking secrets hold such appeal? I think it's because they pique your curiosity and then they behold the answer until you're willing to pay the price of the book. So that's the appeal of mysteries. It shows up some secret insider knowledge that we are not aware of and we can possibly unlock if we only knew how. So today's text is about unlocking secrets. Not just any secret, but unlocking a divine secret in a divine dream. And in today's passage, God reveals something that is not just of global importance, but God reveals something that is of cosmic importance. And the mystery that is revealed is, despite the ebb and flow of world history, God's kingdom will surely come. So as we begin, would you join me in prayer, even as we ask God to illuminate his word to us today. Our eternal God, our loving Heavenly Father, Would you grant us the wisdom and spiritual sight to perceive your kingdom come and grant to us a willing and obedient heart to live for you and your kingdom this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So first of all, let's recap chapter 2 because chapter 2 is a rather long chapter. So in chapter 2, there is a crisis. The king has a troubling dream. And he insists, hey, you wise man, you work for me. Please tell me what my dream is, then interpret it for me. And the wise man say, I cannot. So this is the crisis that comes. And then the king threatens all of them to say, if you don't, then I will kill all of you. And it includes Daniel and his friends. So Daniel asks for time to interpret the dream. And that's what Pastor Kirk preached about, about two weeks ago. And then he convenes a PNP and calls all his friends and says, hey, we need to pray, we need to entreat God to come and deliver us. And that's what Pastor Kat preached about last week. So as he prayed, God answered. And today, we come to the point where the mystery is revealed. He's ready to stand before the king and interpret the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is not a Marvel movie, so spoiler alert, Daniel gets it correct. Lah, huh? So 
Daniel correctly tells the king his dream. There's a huge statue with a head of gold, then his chest. Chest is made of silver, middle bronze, then his legs are iron, and his feet are like mixed with clay, so it's like he got a clay pedicure. And so a rock appears, and this is a very significant detail. This rock is of spiritual origin. And this rock is not cut from human hands. And what happens is this rock comes and strikes the statue. And then the statue breaks into pieces. And the wind comes and blows it all away. And everything disappears. So this is the first divine revelation. God grants to Daniel the dream. God reveals the dream to Daniel. What's the second divine revelation in this text? God also gives the interpretation. So the giant statue signifies four kingdoms. And the first kingdom is represented by King Nebuchadnezzar. And after that, there comes after him three subsequent kingdoms that rise and fall. And after that, after that, there is one final everlasting kingdom represented by the rock that comes, strikes all of these kingdoms, and then this kingdom is set up by God. It is not an earthly kingdom, and this kingdom will never be destroyed and this kingdom will last forever and ever. Amen. So King Nebuchadnezzar is appropriately mind-blown by the show of divine power and divine strength, far greater than all of his astrologers and wise men. So he bows down before Daniel, he acknowledges that God is superior to all of his gods, and then what a great story of victory in crisis, correct? God for the win. So as we read this story, it's very exciting. But as modern hearers coming into this narrative, how do we make sense of it? How should we really understand it? Is it like a masterclass in biblical crisis management? Is it a model of how do you operate in the spiritual gifts of discernment and interpretation? Or is it a predictive text of world history? You know, it can be perfectly valid to draw applicational principles from the text, but because this text is descriptive rather than prescriptive, meaning it describes something rather than telling you what to do, we must first of all do some homework. We must do some homework to know how it made sense to the people that the book was written for. So right now what I want to do is to help all of us take a step back from the story and look for clues as to what this text is really trying to say. And today we look for clues in the text through its structure. You know, structure and patterns are often very intentional, like a cross stitch, for example. You know, they will give you some instructions like, sew 10 X's on row 20 in pink, and after that, sew five more X's in red or yellow, whatever, on another row, and then you have no idea what, how it all comes together, but then you flip the cloth, and then you're, oh, it's a rose, okay? I don't do cross-stitch, I'm horrible at it. But you know, I've seen other people do it and that's what happens, okay? So patterns are often arranged a particular way for a particular purpose. And it's the same with literary patterns. So how is the book of Daniel arranged? Daniel, the first chapter, is in Hebrew. And then chapters two to seven is in Aramaic. Then after that, it reverts back to Hebrew. So if you look at Daniel through the languages that is used, you can discern a simple structure. Let me show it to you. So in chapter one, you have the prologue, which is in Hebrew. Then chapter two to seven, you have stories about Jews in the foreign nations, which is in Aramaic. And in this section, 
you have Nebuchadnezzar, he dreams about the four earthly kingdoms and the fifth eternal kingdom, which is what we're talking about today. Then faithful Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they face death for their faith. That's chapter three. Then we have a proud foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's humble, chapter four. Proud foreign king, another one, Belshazzar, he's humbled again, that's chapter five. And Daniel faces death for his faith, that's chapter six. And Daniel dreams about four earthly kingdoms and then the final everlasting kingdom, that's chapter seven. And chapters eight to 12, you then have prophecies about the Jews back in the land. So when you look at this structure, it gives you clues as to what the book of Daniel is really concerned about. So for us today in chapter two, chapter two sets up for us that there is a series of earthly kingdoms a series of earthly kingdoms that rise and fall. And this is paired with chapter seven. Both have a dream about four kingdoms and the fifth eternal kingdom. So chapter two doesn't really give us that much detail. Chapter seven has more detail and we believe that the four kingdoms refer to the Babylonian, the Medea, the Persian, and the Greek slash Macedonian empires. But I won't be covering it today. I'll leave it to the dear preacher in chapter seven. Uh, I'll pray for him and I'll leave it to the preacher to expound that more in chapter seven. But for us today in chapter two, the text and the main point is that it skims through the details to land on the main point. And the main point is, although there is a series of kingdoms that rise and fall, the fifth kingdom is God's everlasting kingdom. It will surely come and it will reign forever and ever. That is the main point of the interpretation of the dream. So that's great. But then Daniel and his friends are asking, okay, so what? What difference does it make to Daniel and his friends? So the significance is while the dream and the interpretation is given to King Nebuchadnezzar, he is not the primary audience. The primary audience are Daniel and his fellow exiles. And this is the purpose of God's revelation in chapter two, that God grants divine revelation to Daniel so that the exiles can see beyond their current temporal reality to perceive the greater spiritual and eternal reality that despite the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms, God's heavenly kingdom will prevail, will always prevail. So this holds true to the purpose of the book of Daniel. It was written for a specific purpose to a specific audience. And the audience is the exiles and the specific purpose is to encourage the exiles to hold fast to the end because in the end, God will reign. Though earthly kingdoms fail, the heavenly kingdom always prevails. You know, when we read that a series of kingdoms will rise and then fall, it doesn't seem to impact us in this modern world very much. Firstly, we don't go through many kingdoms. Secondly, we don't read between the lines and we don't think about the emotional, physical, spiritual impact on the Israel exiles. So as Israelites living in Babylon, they are the ones living through this series of kingdoms that rise and fall. And faithful Israelites are expecting that God will deliver them from foreign domination. And yet, as one kingdom falls, then they're like, oh, maybe now, but another kingdom rises to take its place. And this happens over and over again. And there doesn't seem to be any end to the cycle. So not only for Daniel and his friends, but also for subsequent generations of exiles, God's promise of a deliverance seems very, very far away. 
So even when they're allowed to come back from Babylon into the land to rebuild the temple because of benevolent foreign rulers, full restoration of the nation doesn't happen. So add to that, you can imagine the fear, the anxiety, the physical danger of the turmoil as kingdoms rise and fall, as wars are being fought. If you put yourself in their shoes, you can understand why they cannot see beyond their current reality. It is totally understandable that they might think that nothing is ever going to change. It is totally understandable to imagine that they might be going through a deep sense of futility and discouragement. You know, for us living in this world today, I think we can also relate. Like the Israelites, I think we also struggle to make sense of world history. You know, in the last 70 to 80 years since the end of World War II, we have had an unprecedented period of peace in the world. And some historians term it as long peace. Of course, there are conflicts and wars uh, between countries, and there are also civil wars, internal civil wars. But on the whole, on a global scale, there has been relative peace, and this is a very long period of relative peace. So we, who were born into this era, and we grew up with this sense of stability and peace in the world, in the world order. But in the last few years, it's starting to feel a lot like it doesn't hold true any longer. We feel like the economic, political, even cultural world order are shifting underneath our feet. Even climate is shifting. The sense of stability and peace that we took for granted is no longer given. And so for some of us, we do experience a low-level, constant state of anxiety about the state of the world. So for us, there is a sense of weariness, there's a sense of futility. And some of us may be asking, where are you, God? Moving to our own personal experience, some of us may be facing constant challenges on the work and family front, and we feel embattled and we feel worn down by the grind of life. Some of us are asking, how come I'm fighting with my spouse over the same thing over and over again? How come nothing ever changes? How come I'm fighting with my kids over the same things over and over again? How come my work situation never changes? And we feel a deep sense of futility, and we feel a sense of discouragement. And some of us are asking, where are you gone? And the passage today reminds us, the passage in Daniel today reminds us that God is at work even in the midst of challenging, impossible, and seemingly futile situations. You know, have you ever thought about how weird this whole story is in chapter two? Firstly, why does God grant King Nebuchadnezzar the dream? Nebuchadnezzar is not really the primary audience. Why doesn't he just tell the exiles directly, right? So why is Nebuchadnezzar so weird as to insist on not telling anybody his dream and insisting that you tell me my dream and you interpret it for me? That's just not how things are done. And then Daniel. Daniel essentially is a no-name, no-power, intern-level kind of minion. Okay, how does he come into the picture? And why would a king's official take this guy seriously? Right? When he says, I will interpret the dream for you, it takes quite a lot for the king's official to say, okay, you can do it, because they don't know him. Right? 
So the alternate title, I think, for this story could also be titled A Series of Very Weird Coincidences. Perhaps another word for weird could be divine orchestration. God specifically sent a dream to a hostile king, superintended over the court events, sent revelation via Daniel to prove to the exiles that even the reign of hostile kingdoms is in the redemptive plan of God. God was hard at work orchestrating the flow of human events, but he was doing it behind the curtain and takes spiritual sight to perceive him in the midst of our current reality. So when you are discouraged and things seem futile, it is hard to perceive God. When you are discouraged and you feel like things are never going to change, it can be hard to perceive God. So how can we perceive God in the midst of all the things that we are going through? You know, last year, frankly, was a pretty um, horrible year for me. Uh, some of you may know that I went through a very intense period of caregiving and subsequent bereavement for my mother-in-law. So I went through a lot. I was very emotionally exhausting. It was draining for me and also to hold up my family in this time. Um, and to be honest, I was quite chowta. I was quite burnt out. I felt quite joyless. And to a certain extent, I was going through the motions. So around the same time, in the middle of the year, Pastor Kai and the rest of the Woodlands pastors and leaders, we sensed a strong burden to deepen our prayer. We really felt the need to plow in to pray. And you know, I felt the burden too. But if you ask me honestly, did I really, really want to really, really, really pray? Uh, not really that much. Lah. But never mind, just obey, just do. So we committed to each other in the staff team, a simple step of obedience that would deepen our prayer life and we would hold each other accountable. So for me, two small habits that I started. I wake up in the morning, then I poke my husband. That's not the habit, okay? I poke my husband and then we would begin the morning by praying over ourselves and praying for our children, praying for our family. We would pray for protection. We would pray for them to experience God in their daily lives. We would pray for tender hearts. One prayer I frequently prayed was the Beatitudes. I prayed would soften the condition of their hearts soften the condition of my own heart. The second habit that I started was I took this thing which we all have, which is a phone, and I scheduled downtime on my phone on it every day for 30 minutes. So basically, when it's downtime, you are not able to use the apps, you cannot use your WhatsApp, you cannot use your Instagram, you cannot use any other thing that distracts you all the time. So my phone shuts down every day, 30 minutes for me to spend that devotion time with God. So when it shuts down, I reflect on perhaps my quiet time in the morning, then I turn it over to God in prayer. And then I would pray for whatever that God prompts me to. Maybe I pray for my leaders, I pray for my pastors, I pray for the people I shepherd, I pray for situations, I pray for my family, I pray for my unsafe family and friends. I have to tell you, sometimes it's a little bit inconvenient, like the time I was on the BKE and Google Maps shut off at 9.30 p.m. So that was only a little bit inconvenient, but it's okay. What then are the results after six months? I wish I could tell you every day I see a major miracle happening, but no lah. But 
But, but, I begin to discern God a bit more. I begin to discern God's hand a little bit more. I see his work more in the lives of my family. I have a much greater awareness of his presence in my daily life. I feel that I'm much more dependent on his spirit's empowering and I have a much greater appetite for spiritual things. So God granted me an awakening to him even as I started off a simple step of obedience, even when I didn't feel like doing it at first. God honored those steps of obedience even when I didn't feel like doing it at first. And my life, my heart, my mind was so cluttered by so many things that I had trouble perceiving him. Sometimes, was it because I'm a bad Christian? I hope not, I'm one of your pastors. But you know, sometimes life is just overwhelming, isn't it? But we need to take active obedience steps to declutter our lives, to make space to perceive and to see him again. So when you feel overwhelmed, God says, see me at work again. Despite how you feel, no matter how you feel, even if you don't feel like doing it at all, take a step of obedience to make space to perceive and to see him again. Make space in our very cluttered lives to perceive him again. Because we have something that's beyond earthly kingdoms to live for. We have a heavenly kingdom to live for. And we need to regain that spiritual sight to see beyond our current reality into spiritual and eternal reality. You know, not only does God use miraculous circumstances and supernatural intervention to encourage Daniel and his friends, God also uses the dream to remind them that they have not been abandoned, that even through the chaotic mess of the rise and fall of kingdoms, God is absolutely, completely in control and his kingdom will surely come in the end and it will result in the redemptive transformation of the world. And so because of this divine revelation, the exiles have the faith and hope to keep on living for God and his kingdom. So here's a question. Is there any difference between the exiles living for the kingdom and us living for the kingdom today? Yes, la, the answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, okay? Back then, they didn't have the fullness of the revelation that God's kingdom has already been inaugurated by Jesus by his death, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So God's kingdom has already been inaugurated by the coming of Jesus. So as God's people right now, we, the church, we can be sure that God's kingdom is coming again and we are awaiting eagerly for Jesus to come again because it is then that the kingdom will be fully consummated. The kingdom that will last forever and ever will be fully consummated. So here's a question, another question. What then should we live for? Should we live for something that passes away or should we live for something that lasts forever? No brainer lah. We live, should live for something that lasts forever. We should live for eternity. But what does it really mean to live for the heavenly kingdom? We can only answer that question when we understand what is at the heart of the kingdom. And at the heart of the kingdom, is the king. At the heart of the kingdom is the king. 
And the king is the one who rules and reigns. The king is the one whom we give our full allegiance to. So in order to live for the kingdom, we live under the reign and the lordship of the king. It means to live a life that's totally transformed by the king. And we live in him and we live for him. Whether we are at work, whether we are at study, at worship or at witness, that's how we live for God and his kingdom. And all this we do while we eagerly await his coming kingdom. To live for the kingdom is to live for the king. If you read to the end of the chapter, entire chapter, even King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God as king. Verse 47 says, The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So even a foreign king, he acknowledged and gave glory to God. He proclaimed God as the God of gods and the Lord of kings. He gave glory to God for his power, his wisdom. But the question is, after he paid homage to Daniel and then gave, rewarded him all of his power and positions, what happened next? Did anything change for Nebuchadnezzar? I won't steal next week's thunder, but the reality is nothing really changed for him. If God is king, then so what? If God is king, then so what? If God is king, then our lives should reflect lordship, transformation, and kingdom purpose. And the question, a soul-searching question for us today is, does it? Does it really reflect lordship, transformation, and kingdom purpose. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself, that I am often preoccupied with many things, and I suspect that it is the same for many of us. And my life does not reflect complete lordship, complete transformation, and full kingdom purpose, because I'm preoccupied with too many things. We are preoccupied with doing life, we are preoccupied with surviving retrenchments. We are preoccupied with making enough money to combat inflation because chicken rice is not very expensive. We are preoccupied with anxiety over our children's futures. We are preoccupied with comfort, distractions, entertainment. We are just preoccupied. And many of these things are legitimate and valid. They are very real and we can't pretend that they don't exist. But perhaps the problem is that we let them take over and preoccupy us completely. So at this point in the sermon, I just want to give us some time for God to speak to us. I'm going to ask us to reflect on this question. What is one thing that is preoccupying you? And would you let God surface up anything that is preoccupying you and allow him to bring it to mind? So I'm going to give us a few moments of silence just to do that. Hold that thought for a little while while I continue to tell you a story about shopping. You know, when I need to buy something, uh, when I do research, suddenly all I notice is that thing. So if I need to buy a new pair of sneakers, which I do because I've got terrible knees, suddenly I see sneakers everywhere. I go to the mall, suddenly I see shoe stores. 
And then I suddenly see so many models, so many brands in the shoe store. I go into the lift, I look down, I see shoes. And when I see carousel on my feet, all I see are sneakers. You know, often we only see what we are preoccupied with. If we are preoccupied with earthly things, we will only see earthly things. No wonder we don't have spiritual sight. No wonder we fail to see God. No wonder we fail to see God and his kingdom. And if we don't see him, no wonder we don't live for his kingdom. So if we want to perceive God clearly, if we want to perceive God's kingdom clearly, if we have to let go of the things that preoccupy us and let go of the things that prevent us from seeing him again. We have to let go of our sinful habits, our distractions, our unforgiveness, our pains and our hurts. We have to let go of anxieties. We have to let go of whatever preoccupies us so that we can perceive God and his kingdom clearly again. About a month ago, I had to send my domestic helper in, and her name is Auntie Byrne, to the a and &E in the middle of the night for a medical emergency. Suffice to say that it was a gynecological condition. So while they fixed the issue temporarily, it happened again two weeks later and even more serious. And this time, we were actually afraid that she was going to hemorrhage out and die. And she called me in a panic and said, save me, mom, I think I'm going to die. And she wasn't being overly dramatic. I sent her to the A&E and thankfully a gynae diagnosed her precisely, quickly scheduled her for emergency surgery and for a biopsy. So let me tell you something about Auntie Burn. There are two things in the world that she's deathly afraid of, worms and needles. So first, she was already panicking about what she was going through. And then she suddenly has to undergo emergency surgery. And of course, surgery scalpels are worse than needles, right? And then there is a real risk of a cancer diagnosis after the biopsy. So as I warded her to wait for the surgery, her face was pale with fear and she was shaking. You can see almost a literal cloud of fear, anxiety and panic over her. So before I left the hospital that day, I prayed for her. I prayed that God would lift up all her fears, lift up all her anxieties and that she will trust God. So I sent out an SOS for prayer and a few colleagues from church came by to visit her and to pray for her. And then some others also called her up to pray. And I honestly was personally quite worried about her emotional state. So the next day I walked in and then I was really very surprised because something was vastly different. She was no longer pale and shaking with fear. Uh, maybe also because she got transfusion, so that's why she was a bit less pale. But seriously, her demeanor had changed. I could sense that the anxiety and the fears had lifted. And I could feel that there was a deep, almost palpable sense of peace. And then I asked her what changed. And then she replied, when you all prayed for me, God said to me, I just need to let go of all my fears. I can trust him. God is with me. Nothing had changed about our circumstances. She was still in the ward. She was still waiting to go to surgery. She still doesn't know whether she had cancer. But the difference is that she could now perceive God in the midst of a current reality. And that makes all the difference. In the presence of God, there was deep and indescribable and unexplainable peace in the presence of God. 
the reality of God in her situation. So I'm glad to report that the biopsy report came back clean, and even though she has to go for a major surgery next week, there's still a sense of peace and restedness about the whole situation because she could see and perceive God again and the way in which it transformed her from one who is consumed, consumed, that she couldn't see past her fears to one that was experiencing such a tremendous sense of peace, a tremendous sense of restedness, a tremendous sense of assurance in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. That is a tremendous witness to me and to many others about the reality and the glory of God. So friends, today, God wants to restore our spiritual sight. God wants to restore us to see Him and His kingdom again, to build in us the faith to believe that even though earthly kingdoms fail, God's heavenly kingdom always, always prevails. And when we truly see and perceive Him, God becomes real again. When we truly see Him and crown Him and live for Him as King over us, we will truly live for Him and His kingdom again. Let us pray. Friends, we have a kingdom to live for. We have a kingdom to live for. We have a king to live for. But today, many of us feel a deep sense of discouragement, a deep sense of futility about the state of the world, or about our own condition, our own situations. We can't see beyond our pain, our anxieties, our distractions. But God today says, I see you. And He says, let all of these things go. Let all of these things go because I am King. And I am here. Would you allow the song, the words of this song, just minister to you as you come to God afresh to ask Him to be real again in your life?
for some of us, when we're asking God, God, where are you? For some of us, God is asking the same question back. And he asks, child, where are you? Where is your heart? Many of us are far from him because of our preoccupations. Many of us cannot perceive him any longer because of all the things that we hold on to so tightly that we can't see God anymore. And today God is calling you to let go of these things so that you can see and perceive him clearly again. Just now when I asked you to reflect on the one thing that's preoccupying you, if you want to commit that back to the Lord and say, God, my preoccupations, I may have one, I may have many, but right now I want to hold it out before you with my two hands. Just hold it out before you again. And in my hands that I hold out to you, I'm saying, God, help me to let go of all these preoccupations, whether they are hurts, they are pains, injustice, betrayals, unforgiveness, fears, anxieties, distractions, addictions. I hold it in my hands and I want to let it go. If that is you, would you hold up your hands to represent and symbolize very simply a desire to ask God to help you so that you can let it go. This is between you and God. But God says, let it go so you can see me again. Let it go so I can be real to you again. So Father, I pray for these, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that everything that they hold in their hands, every preoccupation, every darkness, every addiction, every fear, every unforgiveness, everything that they hold on to, all their distractions, all their addictions, all their anxieties, all their fears, right now by the Spirit of God, would you lift? Lift everything up by the power of your Spirit. And by your Word and by your Spirit, would you bring about a new perception into their lives? Bring about new spiritual sight to their, eye, to their lives. Give them the eyes to see you. Give them the eyes to read your word. Give them the eyes to perceive you and work in and through them. So Father, I pray that even as we restore our spiritual sight today, as you do something for us very special today, give us a breakthrough today. Father, I pray that this illumination that you give to us today will lead us to a place of lordship. Lead us to a place where we come back to the place where you alone are king, you alone are God, and we live for you and your kingdom again. So people of God, would you stand with me as we worship the Lord with this song? Worship the King with this song again.
glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.